Uh, well, greetings from your brothers and sisters in Don Mills. Janie and I and our kids have been felt very uh, warm and welcome here uh, in the short well, hour and a half now that have been in this building. Uh, it's really clear the affection and the love that you have for one another, and I hope you treasure that uh, dearly, and I appreciate you showing that to us as well. Um, if you need a copy of the scriptures, ushers have them right there. They would love to get it to you. Please lift your hand and they will get it right to you where you are. If you don't have a copy of the scriptures, I'm told this is your gift to keep. Take two, I guess, and give it to someone else. Uh, we are going to be in Psalm 16 tonight. I'm going to read the whole passage, but we're going to be reading or looking specifically at two verses, Psalm 16 verse 5 and verse 6. Psalm 16, verse 5 and 6. But I will start us off by reading the whole text together now. Hear now what Holy Scripture says. Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. As for the saints and the land, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. The sorrows of those who run after another god shall multiply. Their drink offerings of blood I will not pour out or take their names on my lips. The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. In the night also my heart instructs me. I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I shall not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad. My whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word. Lord God, in the many troubles that we find ourselves in day to day, we thank you that you are our good and that we have none apart from you. Yet, Lord God, there are so many instances where we do need refuge. There are so many troubles in life in which it may feel like death is at our door and we need security, Lord God, and where our heart is shattered. And Father, I think on those who may feel that acutely today, or may have felt that in the past and it's kind of just been dwindling, but it's still there in the background. Father, I pray that we would find that there is a security and a refuge in you so that however life is, we can still be content with life as it is. In the name of Jesus, we pray, amen. I wonder what life was like for you just a short five years ago and how life has pretty drastically changed for all of us. Can you think back? What's five years? 2013, 2023, Siri? That was 10 years ago. Wow. Think back just five years, though, 2018. What was life for you? 
A couple uh, things that happened in pop culture to try and recalibrate you back to 2018. In 2018, uh, Black Panther was the top movie in the box offices. In 2018, Alexander Ovechkin won his first Stanley Cup. Uh, Donald Trump had a historic meeting where he shook hands with the leader of North Korea, King Jong-un. 2018, the world was introduced for the first time to the Me Too movement. A lot has changed for my family in 2018. A lot. And since 2018, I've had five different jobs descriptions at two different churches under four different elder boards. And if the math doesn't make sense to you, it still doesn't make sense to me. (laughs) We've uh, lived in three different houses. Five years ago, we had one six-month-old, and now we have a second who is old enough to enter into JK. And I had no idea what an N95 was. (laughs) We've all faced a lot of whiplash and a lot of change in the past five years. David faced a lot of troubles in his life. King David was the one who wrote Psalm 16. Yet in all of the turmoil and trouble that he faced, he wrote Psalm 16 as an expression of his contentment with life as it is. Not as what it could be, not as what it was, as what it is. Are you content with life as it is? I hope this passage will help those amongst us, especially who feel a restlessness that has been stirring in your heart for maybe years that you haven't been able to just settle to find peace. Though I'll be referencing throughout the psalm, I'm specifically going to be looking at verse 5 and verse 6 in order to learn how we what it's like to be content with life as it is, we're going to ask and answer three questions. First, how? How can a Christian learn to be content with life as it is? But then why? Why can't we be content with life as it is? And then finally, what does it actually look like? What does it really look like? to experience contentment with life as it is. How can we be content? Why can't we be content? What does it look like to be content? So let's start, start first with the how. And we see that through a few things that David says about the Lord, his God, Yahweh, in verse 5. In verse 5, David makes three claims about God, three confessions of his faith, who God is and who he trusts God to be to him. And as I look through these three things, I want you to ask yourself, do I have this same faith? Do I believe these same things? The first thing David says, verse 5, the Lord, Yahweh, is my chosen portion. David trusted the Lord as his strength. How do we see that from this term chosen portion? Well, this idea chosen portion 
This term is used in other passages in Scripture to describe to the portion of food that was set apart and assigned to the priests who were serving at the temple. All the Jewish priests were from the same tribe. Do you know which one that was? The tribe of Levi, right. When the nation of Israel entered into the land of promise, every tribe was given territory, land, as a perpetual inheritance for them and for all of their offspring, all except for one. Can you guess which one? Levi. Levi didn't have their own territory. They were allowed cities within other tribes' territories, but they didn't have their own because they were often like like military, conscripted for duty to go to Jerusalem and serve at the temple. And in serving at the temple, they were given portions of food. As people came and gave offerings to the Lord, uh, worship offerings, thank offerings, um, forgiveness offerings, some of the meat offerings, the food offerings that were given, whether that was actual meat or whether it was grain or uh, wine or something else, they would be set apart and that portion would be attributed to the Levites. They didn't get to determine what their food was. You can go home tonight and you can open up your cupboard and you bought it, you can make it, and you can choose a variety of things. The Levites didn't get the privilege of being able to determine what they had. What was brought as the offering was given to them. They relied on what was provided for the nourishment and strength they needed to do their duty as priests serving the Lord in the temple. And when David thinks about his life, he says, Yahweh is my chosen portion. We need strength for life. We can't go through on our own. Do you believe that God is your only strength so that you can live a life with contentment. Well, a good meal is good, but a good meal is good also when it comes with a drink. And David thinks, describes the Lord not just as a chosen portion, but he says, the Lord is my cup. In this way, David trusted the Lord as his joy. Do you. And what gives you satisfaction for your life? Isn't the things that you earn or the people that you know or the reputation that you have? It's the Lord. And that's enough. See, when David thinks about a cup, he's not just thinking about an empty vessel, right? The Stanley Cup is unique amongst all of other trophies. I like NFL football, and they have the Lombardi trophy, and it's just this like silver football and a silver pedestal. It's kind of boring. The Stanley Cup is historic. And when you're given the Stanley Cup, It's not just a cup that's empty. They often fill it with champagne and they drink out of that cup. When David's thinking about a cup, he's not just thinking about a cup. He's thinking about what he would drink out of the cup. And it's probably likely that he's thinking of a cup of wine. And you read the scriptures, you can see that wine is considered to be something that provides much joy. In the book of Song of Solomon, uh, the sweetness of romance is described as a cup of wine. Wine. Many other places as well describe wine as something that cheers the heart, something that satisfies the soul. See, some of us might see like, yeah, okay, God can give me the strength that I need. I rely on you, but I'm going to find my own happiness in my own way. 
For David to be content, he knew that the Lord was his strength and that the Lord was his joy. We can't rely on joy from our circumstances. We need to rely on it from the Lord because there are a lot of troubles in our circumstances. And one of the main ways that I've seen in my own heart and in the lives of those that I get to pastor that one of the biggest obstacles for people to actually get to joy is the unexpected circumstances. Excuse me, the biggest obstacles that keep people from getting to contentment is the unexpected circumstances that come their way. So then David has a third thing that describes who he trusts the Lord to be. The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. In the midst of the many trials that assail us, that assailed David, David trusted the Lord as his hope. What is, how, how does he get hope out of that? Well, the rest of the tribes, other than the Levites, when they were given their territory, it wasn't like first come, first serve. The system in which the territory was allotted to the different tribes was chosen by lot. A lot would have been like um, a small pebble with multiple sides that would be cast. And if it landed on one side or the other, a decision was made. And if you're thinking, well, that sounds kind of like a dice, you're right. It does. It's just like that. But this was a common pattern of decision-making in the Old Testament. Proverbs 16, 33 says, The lot is cast into the lap, but its every decision is formed from the Lord. Here's the point. David went through a, a wide spectrum of various trials. He was the overlooked shepherd boy who dad didn't even really care about because he was scrawnier than the rest of them. And then he went and became the champion of Israel after he defeated Goliath. He then was anointed as the king of Israel and married the princess, but then the incumbent king, out of jealousy for him, ran after manhunts and had to chase David into the wilderness. But then finally, he becomes the king, and his territory expands, and he is seemingly on top of the world. And then his own son uh, stirs up an insurrection against him to usurp his power. I don't think David was thinking that life would be at all like that when he was tending the little lambs in the field. I'm still quite young, but the more I live life, the more it feels just like life is just dealt to me like a deck of cards. And I don't know what hand I would get to play. Like a, a die being cast. Like a lot being thrown. Life is really like that. But David could look at the unfolding, seemingly random chance of life and said, you hold my lot. Can you look at the Lord like that? What seems like it's unfolding, like random chance is actually guided under the good hand of a God of providence. The Lord is my only strength, my true joy, my full hope. So is that it then? Is that all it takes to find contentment with life as it is? Well, yes, but no. Yes, because this is who God is and this is what God provides and promises, but it's not that easy. This isn't a simple formula. 
If this is who God is, my chosen portion, my cup, my lot, if this is what God has promised, my strength, my joy, my hope, why is it so hard to actually be content with life as it? Why can't we just wake up in the morning, make these positive confessions in the fear, in the, in the mirror, and go about and everything's fine? Well, maybe you've been asking this question for a long time, and you've really had this restless, unsettled spirit that you just can't simmer down. Well, you're not alone. Many people in our culture are asking this exact same question, whether they're a part of, they're a part of the church or whether they are non-religious. Uh, there's an author who I've come across. His name's Mark Manson. He is a best-selling self-help author. He's had books at the top of Amazon bestsellers consecutively for the past several years. In one of these books, in the introduction, he talks about this idea of unsettled feelings, and he describes it as the paradox of progress. And this is what Mark Manson says about this discontentment, this restlessness that we can't kick. He says, we live in an interesting time that materially, things are arguably better than they have ever been before, yet we all seem to be losing our minds. An irrational sense of hopelessness is spreading across the rich, developed world. It's the paradox of progress. The better things get, the more anxious and desperate we all seem to feel. Basically, we are the safest and most prosperous humans in the history of the world, yet we are feeling more hopeless than ever before. The better things get, the more we seem to despair. It's the paradox of progress. And he says this very sobering last line. Perhaps it can be summed up in this one startling fact. The wealthier and safer place you live, the more likely you are to commit suicide. It's pretty clear something's not working in our hearts, in our culture. But why? It's because life is filled with a flood of troubles that no one can plan for. No one saves for a year to go to Disneyland only to put all that money into a new vehicle after an at-fault accident that you didn't expect. No one dreams that after their dream school and getting their dream job, they would end up working with a nightmare boss that forces you to leave the entire industry that you were hoping to get your fulfillment in since high school. No one can imagine the immense weight of guilt we feel when we think it's our fault that our spouse has to give up their ambitions because of our chronic illness. Life is filled with troubles, a flood of them. But the problem and the trouble isn't the trouble itself. The reason we can't be content isn't because of our troubles itself. I think it's our response to the troubles that we have. You see, our troubles reveal our idols. The disappointments in our life often reveal what really matter to us and how much it mattered to us. And so much in our life, traveling, career, health, parenting, hobbies, so much of these things in life we treat and we give a measure of our affection and our measure of our allegiance with our time, with our money, with our behaviors, that we should be only be given to God alone. And when they fail us, 
That's when our idols are seen. What do you idolize? An idol is that thing which holds tightest grip on your deepest desires and your greatest fears. An idol is that thing that you think is of highest worth, which you offer your deepest affections and allegiance, believing that if you're faithful to it, it will give you the greatest sense of significance and dignity that you long for. It's that thing of highest worth that you offer your deepest affections and allegiance, believing it will return to you greatest sense of significance and dignity. So what is it that you're idolizing? Maybe it's your reputation at work. Maybe it's your kid's athletic achievement. Maybe it's your retirement savings. Maybe it's your pastor's affirmation of your good leadership in the church. Whatever it is that we idolize, all of them and their disappointments have their same end. Verse four says it, look at it there. The sorrows of those who run after another God shall multiply. The trouble that keeps us from reaching contentment isn't the trouble ourselves. It's our response to our troubles. And idolatry is one of those things that keeps us from contentment, but there's another as well. Because maybe you can test your heart and like, you know there's things that you're drawn to. There's no things that you're tempted about, but you know that your heart belongs to the Lord. Well, there's another thing in Psalm 16 that we see that reveals what keeps us from contentment. Our troubles reveal our idols, but also our Our troubles reveal our unbelief as well. Some of you can't find contentment because you're troubled with foolhardy idolatry, but others of you are troubled and can't find contentment because of your faint-hearted unbelief. You've just been burned, and you're not sure you want to trust God again. David's clearly troubled here. He starts off by saying, preserve me. We love verse 11 in the talk about fullness of joy, but remember where David starts, preserve me. Well, why does he need to be preserved? Because he feels like he's at death's door. He feels like he needs refuge. He wants to dwell securely, verse 9, because he feels insecure. But even though he feels this way, knowing all he's experienced and all the turmoil of his life, he still trusts God. He still turns to God and he means it. God gives him counsel. God instructs him. God is at his right hand. He knows he isn't shaken. But when we're going through the midst of trials and troubles, it's exhausting. Like all I did was wake up after an eight hour sleep and it feels like I ran a marathon. Whether it's the conflict you're having in your family or the fear of going and have to go back into that work culture again or feeling like you don't fit in in the school that you attend. When we're going through troubles, it exhausts us. They drain us. They make us feel so faint-hearted that, okay, well, sure, I'll endure, but I don't know if I can actually really be content. I don't know if I can actually really find joy in this. Sure, God can help others, but I'm not sure he can really help me. We've been so burned so often 
that we don't want to let ourselves hope again. We'd rather be content, being discontent, than risk getting hurt by trusting the Lord because I can just do it myself. Whether it's idolatry or whether it's unbelief, it's our responses to our troubles that reveal why we can't be content. Yet somehow David was able to find it, right? In the midst of everything David went through, somehow he could really trust. How in the midst of everything he went through could he still really put himself out there in vulnerable times and actually put himself wholly in God's hand? Well, I think there's one promise here that really underpins all others in this psalm, and it's in verse 10. He says, For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption. See, David seemed like he was at death's door again. But he believed that even to death, God would not abandon him. And you may know this promise, right? Hebrews 13, 5, God says, I will never leave you or forsake you. Matthew 28, 20, I will always be with you, even to the end of the age. And you're like, okay, I, I've heard that one before. It's still hard to trust God. Well, generations after David, one of his own sons put this verse and this promise of God's presence with him to the ultimate test. For the joy set before him, Jesus, the son of David, offered his own life in death to atone for our sins. He knew that everyone would abandon him. The crowds, a few days ago, heralded him as king. And then they shouted at him to be crucified as a criminal. The friends that said that they would die with him ran from him when he was arrested. The Son of God was nailed to a cross and he was overcome by death. But in that most vulnerable moment where death was washing over him, the promise of Psalm 1610 stood firm. See, in the book of Acts, Peter and Paul both attribute this passage to the certainty of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The Son of God was overcome by death, but in that most vulnerable moment where death washed over him, God the Father did not abandon Christ's soul. Through the power of resurrection, Jesus rose back to life, ascended to heaven, and is now seated at the right hand of God. See, you think that in your trials, you are free climbing on a cliff and that you have to do it yourself. And you've tried on the baby cliffs before and you had a harness on and you let go and you were still too scared. But you're trying to climb again, but you're unwilling to do it because you think that you have to free climb all by yourself and your hands are sweaty and you know you're going to fall off. So you'd rather not do it. You'd rather not trust God. God's harness to his son went all the way to the grave and still brought him back up. 
How much more is God's promise that he will be with you, hold you fast through whatever you face? He will never leave you or forsake you. Christ is risen from the dead. He is at the right hand of the God. The Father did not abandon him. And as he is, so are you in this world. If you've turned from your sins and believed in Jesus, then you are united with him in his death and burial and resurrection. He suffered so that you could be saved. He was forgiven so that you could be forsaken. Friend, have you turned from your sin in repentance and strapped your harness to God in faith for your eternal life? He is able to sustain you until the end, keep you blameless and present you before God with great joy. You are united to God, so trust God in your troubles. See, we can, we can be content when he, we know and trust that he is our strength, that he is our joy, that he is our hope. So when the time comes and the troubles are flooding over you and you feel like you'd rather turn away or you'd rather do it yourself, that's the moment of testing. Will I really trust God? Will I really hold to him as my strength? Isaiah 40 verse 31 says, those who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up. There you go. They shall run and not grow weary. They shall walk and not grow faint. He is your strength. He is your joy. It is hard in our troubles, but 2 Corinthians 4 17 says, for this light and momentary affliction, is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. He is your hope, a living hope. 1 Peter 1.3 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who's caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from your dead. You can be content with life as it is, but you need to choose in those moments of trial that you really will trust. He will be your strength. He will be your joy. He will be your hope. You can learn to be content with life as it is. So how do you know you've really gotten it though? How do you know you're actually really content? I found contentment can kind of be like learning a new language right? When you get into a new environment and it just like, it just sounds like the Tower of Babel. And it's like this, I have no idea what's happening here. But slowly you acclimate towards it. Slowly you, you can understand. Slowly you become settled and realize that even though life isn't what you'd want it to be, because the Lord is your strength and your joy and your hope, you can be content with life as it is. David describes the way he sees it like verse six, in verse six. He says, the lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. He's returning again to the idea of the allotment of the land through territories, right? Some, Simeon might've gotten one plot of land. Judah might gotten another plot of land, but whatever their plot of land is, can they look around and say like, yeah, this is good. 
It's hard to do that, especially when it's not good. My family and I like, like camping, and I did a lot of it when I was in high school. Uh, one time I went out camping with a, a group of people, and I thought I was assigned a pretty good spot. Um, it was kind of at the edge of the campsite, and it started to get on a bit of a slope, and then I was at the like most like declined part of the slope of the tent with like four other guys. And we thought it was good, except that night it rained. And we didn't uh, put the tent fly on as properly as we could have been. And I had a, we were, it was like multiple days of camping and I had a box of craft dinner with me. And then I woke up in the middle of the night in a, uh, uh, a blanket of soggy macaroni. And I realized I didn't pick a good part of the campsite. David is able to look at everything that's in the boundary of his life. Like an allotted territory. This is my lot. These are the lines that have fallen to me. He can look what's inside. He can look and look what's outside. And whatever might be inside that's grimy or good. Whatever it's pleasant or pitiful. He can look at the bounds that God has laid and say, I have a beautiful inheritance. The lines have fallen in pleasant places. This is contentment. The true experience of contentment is to look at the life that God has allotted to you with a settled appreciation for the grimy and the good, for the pleasant and for the pitiful. And this is a kind of faith that you can only really learn once it's been tested through the trial. And maybe you're in that now. Hold fast to the true promises of who God is. He is your strength. He is your joy. He is your hope. And when you really choose to hold firm to that, knowing the promise that he is with you in Christ, you can look at the lot that's been given to you, and like David, you can say, beautiful. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for the lot that you have given to us in this life. There are a lot of things, there are many things that we experience that are painful that we'd rather pass by. And we don't understand the why. And every time we ask how long, it's another day. And we're just unsettled and restless. Father, I pray for my brothers and sisters here that you would renew their faith to see you as a chosen portion the strength that they must rely on to see you as a cup, the satisfying joy, even in the turmoil and stinging pain of life, to see you as the lot. However, it seems like random chance, you are the one who casts the die. You are the one whose hand is ordering it, and you are our only hope. Lord God, I pray that they would hold fast to the promise that you are with them, and that that's proven through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And I pray that they would be able to look at the grimy and the good, 
the pleasant and the pitiful and with faith in Christ say, beautiful. Thank you that you are enough for us. Help us to persevere as we wait for you to come to make all things new. In Jesus' name, amen. Church, would you stand?